good singing, good music. Take your Bibles tonight and turn to Psalm 149 and verse 6. It's great to see you back tonight. We have a whole crew over there with the kids and Awana. I walked over there when they were starting because it's raining. They put their game mat in the fellowship hall over there, and they were playing some kind of game where the kids have to run around the run around a thing and throw a beanbag and uh, pick up stuff and run. And I told Wayne, I said, entirely too much energy involved in that game. He said, yeah, we need to have the adults do this. I said, no, it would be walking instead of running. We, we would, you know, wouldn't be running. But uh, the kids were having a good time and learning verses, and I'm thankful for those folks over there. Well, let's, uh, we're going to spend some time this evening as we finish up the book of Psalms. Uh, we left off last week at verse 6 there in, in Psalm 149. So let's read from verse 6 down to verse 9, and then we will uh, remind ourselves and pick up where we were last week. The psalmist said, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Now, that's a combination, isn't it? We're going to pray and toot our sword. And here's the reason. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment, dishonor, have all his saints praise the Lord. Now the context of chapter 149, well, 148 was a call of worship, and 149 specifically to Israel. And perhaps this praise was written <clears throat> for some great deliverance that God wrought in Israel, and we know of many, and we could reference many in the Bible, or maybe it was just that God had worked in the nation, brought them back from captivity. And as I was thinking about this passage this week in, the, in writing, I thought about all the supernatural works of God. Why do we, you know, why do we call it supernatural? Well, because God created natural law, and when he operates outside of it, it's supernatural, isn't it? In other words, God, since he created natural law, can, can control it and work outside of it. And I wrote down some things in the Bible that are <clears throat> supernatural and pretty spectacular. Uh, a burning bush that's not consumed is pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, you know, Moses is out there in the desert, and this bush is on fire. And I like the way the Bible puts it. And Moses said, I'll turn aside and see this thing. Well, I, I bet that's exactly the same. That's weird. It says it's on fire and it's not burning up. Then the <clears throat> you'd have to agree the uh, whole crossing the Red Sea on dry land is pretty cool. I mean, you know, there's an ocean and Pharaoh's armies pressing down on them and they're all afraid they're going to die and and Moses said Lord what do we do and God said well just go forward and the sea opens up and the, and I like it that they passed over on dry land if you ever read uh, behind liberal scholars they'll tell you they waded through the swamp or waded through the shallow water nah they were choking on the dust when they went across it was it was dry as a bone because God said it went across on dry land and 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 Without getting too far down this, you know, we always think that, well, God parted the sea and there's this little path through there. Nah, it was pretty big. There's a million people got across over that thing. So it was pretty large and dry. So God did the supernatural, didn't he? He uh, opened up a, a sea. And then, I, I, you know, in the Old Testament, there's all kinds of supernatural acts. The walls of Jericho falling down. That's pretty neat too, right? I mean, God's telling Joshua, well, you're going to take the city, but you're going to do it my way. You know, march around the city, blow the trumpets, and go back. And then on the last day, do it seven times. And when you do, all the walls are going to fall down, and you just go in there and take the city. And that's exactly what happened. 
probably one of my favorite passages in the Bible is the uh, the wayward prophet Balaam. You know the story of him? Now, I've been rebuked in life, but never by a donkey. I thought the person doing it might have been a donkey, but I didn't. But it wasn't a, it wasn't a real donkey, right? So this donkey rebuked God, uses an animal, you know, a, a, an animal to speak and rebuke his prophet. Supernatural work of God. And then we move to the New Testament, obviously, all around Jesus. Jesus being God. Uh, you know, healed the sick, and there were blind people. And I, I think of John chapter nine, and the man who was born blind, and God gave you know Jesus put mud on his eyes and gave him sight when he washed in the pool. And and I think of the lepers who nobody would touch, and Jesus would touch them and heal them. Uh, I think of of sickness that Jesus from a distance would speak, and the sickness would flee, and and the people would be whole. And of course, the greatest of all is Jesus raised the dead. Uh, at least three times that we know of in the New Testament. A person is dead, the body has no life in it, and Jesus is like, no big deal. I am life, so we'll just take care of this, and he raises people from the dead. So what I'm saying is, when, when Israel's called to praise God, they could probably do like we just did and recount all kinds of things that God did for them. And then I thought about the church today. You know, God hadn't parted the St. John's River lately, and I haven't seen, you know, any, any of that kind of stuff. But then I was thinking the greatest supernatural act God has ever done took place in the New Testament. His son hanging on the cross, taking the sin of the world, our substitute, Jesus coming back from the dead, being resurrected and conquering sin and death. And every time in the church age, that Jesus forgives a person's sin and gives them eternal life, that's the greatest supernatural act of God ever. So like Israel, we have purpose and reason uh, to come alongside Israel, if you will, and praise God for his divine work, his supernatural work. Now this passage <clears throat> to Israel here begins with an interesting thing. They were praising God for whatever he did, and in verse 6, it said, let's praise God with high praises. So look at verse 6. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Well, high praises in their mouth, it means to speak praises. It means to be, means to be verbal about our praises. And I thought for Israel, there are at least three ways that God had instructed them to be verbal. And by the way, they're, they're the same for us, and we'll apply it in just a moment. The first one was to speak of God's greatness, to praise him through talking about him. Uh, I, I was thinking about this, reading over this earlier, and I didn't put it in my notes, so I'm actually going to take my Bible and turn over there. In, the, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you know what God told them in the Shema, which was God's message to them of how they would be blessed and how God... Uh, would bless them. So listen to this in, in Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. God said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, is one. He's one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now listen to what else God tells them. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Now they start in your heart, but listen to this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Well, how do you do that? You talk about it. You speak about it. I mean, you, you, you make application to life, okay? So you talk about it. 
And you talk about it when they sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you dry and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. Listen, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So one of the ways Israel was to praise God uh, with a high voice was to talk about him. I don't know about you, but I like talking about Jesus. I like talking about the Bible. I run into people from time to time who, who like sports or football or basketball. And I, don't, I know sports, but I'm not an expert. But if a person really, really enjoys a particular sport, they seem to know everything about it, don't they? And whenever you talk to them, that's all they want to talk about. You know, well, did you know this quarterback? And did you know that? This, and I'm like, no, I don't know. I, I, I don't know all that stuff. Well, I like to do that about God. And, and the church should do that. And Israel was do that. The second way that we praise God with a high voice, as said here in Psalm 149.6, is that we sing what we were doing just a moment ago. We sing to God. And, and we sing corporately. And we sing individually. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'm singing in the car. And I'm singing to God. And I think God enjoys it just as much as he does when we're singing here in the church. And I can sing louder in the car because nobody can hear me but him. And so you put the windows out and turn the air conditioner on, you can sing louder, right? And, and you sing with the radio. And there's, there's this, here's a supernatural thing. When the radio's on and I sing, it sounds pretty good. But if you turn the radio off and I sing, something happened. I don't know what happened. It, it changed. But you can, you can praise God through singing. And then, and then thirdly, we praise God with high voice when we testify to others of his greatness, when we tell other people about God and we tell them how they can be saved. And the same is true for us today in the church. We, in all three of those, we are to speak of God. We honor him when we speak of him. We honor him when we teach our children and our family and, and we teach in the church and we teach among one another. And even, even like I said this morning at a men's breakfast just the same morning, to sit around a table with godly men who are my brothers in Christ and hear the things they have to say about God and what God's doing in their life and what God has done in their life, that's talking about God. And God is honored in that. God is praised when his people talk about him and, and fellowship together with him. And you know, we Baptists got that thing perfected because we can go eat and we can eat out and we can hang out and we can be doing anything and talk about God and talk about what he's doing in our life. And God is praised in that because he's on the minds and hearts of his people. So we talk about him and not only in the church do we speak about God and about Jesus, but of course we sing and we testify. We tell people around us and we tell the world about Jesus. So we too, as Israel was called to to let high praises of God, to lift up our voices. Let us continue to do that. And uh, let us prayer, prayerfully ask God for sensitivity and boldness to talk to people about him because the world's getting much more difficult to do that. But God can open the doors and we can do that. But then the thing changes up and it says, do this, let high praises be to God in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Well, that's a strange combination. In other words, well, what should we be doing? Praying before we go to war? For, you know, what are we praying for? Well, he tells us in verses 7 through 9, so look at it again. He said, you have this sword as you praise God with a high voice to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples. 
to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. And that's important. To execute on them the written judgment, this honor have all his saints. In the Old Testament, and this is, this is sensitive for some people, and they have a hard time with this, so we're going to talk about it. God would command his people, particularly Israel, to take up the sword and to fight with another nation. And God would command them, in some cases, to wipe them out, to annihilate them. And I have had people who are, who are enemies of the, of the Bible and enemies of God ask me about it and attack God as being this mean, you know, unkind uh, deity who would command his people to annihilate another group of people. And if you just looked at it from that perspective, I guess you could have that view. But there's some things we need to understand as Christians and, and understand about why God would command that to be so. Number one, this carrying of the sword for Israel is not personal vengeance. It's not personal. In other words, it is a national command God gives them to go out and do war with another nation. Secondly, the nations that God would send Israel against to defeat or annihilate were wicked, and it was God's judgment against them. It was that method that God used to judge that nation and to uh, wipe them out because they were wicked and rebellious. In fact, before Israel went into Egyptian bondage, God told Moses that the people would be in Israel, would be in Egypt for 400 years because the time was not fulfilled for those nations in Canaan. In other words, God was giving them 400 years to repent. And many of them did not repent. And of course, when Israel came into the land and Joshua led the armies in, the, the defeat of those armies and many of them wiped out were God's judgment against them. Now, I'll give you one particular illustration just to make the point so that we understand what it means here that they are praising God and they take up the sword to fight against their enemies. King Saul lost his job for not doing what God told him to do with regard to wiping out a nation, the Amalekites. Let me read you the text in 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is Samuel's message to King Saul. Of course, God gave it to him. And listen to this, 1 Samuel 15, 1. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over the people, over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. So in other words, God made you king over his people. Now do what he tells you to do. And here it is. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Listen to this. I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel and how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now here's the command. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. That's pretty severe, isn't it? God said, I want you to go against Amalek, and I want you to completely annihilate them. I want you to wipe them out so that they don't exist anymore. Now listen to this in Exodus chapter 17. And if you read the whole context of the thing, Amalek came out, and ambushed Israel as they were traveling and would have done the same to Israel. Listen to this. Exodus 17, 13. Moses had to get Joshua to put some men together to go fight them. Listen to this. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. But now listen to what God said to Moses. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and record it in the hearing of Joshua. And listen to what God said, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. God said, because they attacked Israel, because they were wicked and sinful and trying to hinder God and his divine purpose for Israel, God said, I will wipe them out because they ambushed my people in their wickedness. Now, I would suggest had Amalek, knowing the nature of God in the Bible, had Amalek repented and turned to God and said, Lord, we really messed up. We attacked your people and we're sorry. Would you forgive us? And had they turned to Jehovah God instead of their paganism, God would have forgiven them because that's what God does. He specializes in forgiveness. But because they would not and because they continued in their wickedness and it was written, right? God said, I'm going to wipe them out. They won't be on the earth anymore. God used Israel to be that instrument to go and slaughter them and wipe them out. Now, Saul lost his job over this deal because you remember what happened, right? Saul goes there and defeats Amalek. God turned them over and gave them into his hand. And what did God tell him to do? Samuel, we just read it. He said, don't leave anything alive, including the animals. But what does Saul do? He kept Agag alive, the king. He should have been the first one to get slaughtered. And he kept all the choice animals alive. And I love the Bible because Samuel shows up and Saul comes out and goes, man, I did exactly what God said. Aren't you proud of me? Remember what Samuel said? Well, if that's the case, why is he still breathing? And why do I hear the bleeding of the sheep in my ears? In other words, if you did what God said, he should be dead along with all the rest of them. And there shouldn't be any animals alive. And you remember what Saul said? Oh, I kept the animals because we're going to sacrifice those things to God. And Samuel goes, does God like obedience or sacrifice? He likes obedience way better than sacrifice. And then, of course, Samuel said, because you've done this thing, God's going to tear the kingdom from you, and you're no longer going to be the king. And so that began uh, the coronation of David a little later. But the point is, God would send Israel to be the judge and execute on these nations. Now, God did that with not only Israel, just to give it some context. You remember the Babylonians showed up and destroyed Jerusalem, right? Well, the Babylonians were wicked. They weren't God's people, but God used Nebuchadnezzar to bring chastening on Israel and take them into captivity. Now, here's a kind of a scary application. I would suggest if our nation keeps messing with God the way we're doing it and sinning against God the way we're sinning against God and, and as wicked as we continue to be, we shouldn't really be surprised if God raises up an enemy to smack us around a little bit because he's been doing it a long time throughout the Bible, okay? Which brings up a question about modern warfare, and let's go ahead and deal with that. I get asked from time to time, well, you know, God told Israel to go to war in the Old Testament, and they were God's people, and they would go to war with these people and defeat them, and some of them they would wipe out, some they would just subdue. David did a lot of that. He, he subdued all the enemies of Israel. And when Solomon took over, they were the, they were the king of the, of the mountain in that area. But what about today? What about war today? What about Christians in the military? The military still has in this nation a clause if you're a conscientious objector, if a Christian or another uh, a religious person says, I just can't kill anybody, there, there are grounds for that. But should a Christian be in the military? 
The answer is yes. There's no biblical prohibition for that. In fact, I fully believe that God has used this nation and our military to subdue evil in the world in the past. I mean, Hitler and his regime were demon-possessed and out of their mind. They're, they're trying to wipe out the Jewish nation who was God's people. And I believe God used the allied nations to defeat Hitler and to free and protect his people. I believe God's used the United States to help establish Israel and protect her over all these years since they were constituted as a nation. I mean, all the airplanes they fly, 90% of them are our airplanes we've given them. And some of them are the latest and greatest, except for some of the very newest technology. And I think God has blessed us because of that, irrespective of our sinfulness, because God said, I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. But should we ever stop helping Israel, it doesn't matter how big and bad our military is, we can't fight God. And so uh, God told Israel to do these things. And I think there are indeed just wars. I think if we have the ability to stop nations from from being wicked and, and annihilating people, then we certainly have no problem doing that. And I don't have a problem doing that. Uh, and I've been over there to do that, uh, wherever that might be. One last thing about that. We should be on our knees every day thanking God for protecting our nation because all the wars and the fighting that goes on in this world, and there's a lot, is always somewhere else. Amen. It's not in your backyard. It's not at the Orange Park Mall. There are no airplanes screaming over Jacksonville, blowing buildings up, knocking out power stations. We're not, we don't have people on the beach trying to repel, repel the enemy from landing on the beach. That's pretty special because I've been around the world twice, and I've been to places where they've been fighting, and I've eaten in restaurants with bullet holes in the, in the light fixtures and fresh asphalt in the road where the bombs went off so you can drive down the road. That makes you feel a little eerie. While you're, while you're trying to order your, your meal. The point is, we don't have that problem here. Why? Because God's hand has been on us for a long time. I just hope we don't take it off anytime soon. So Israel with their sword, praising God, and they are his instrument to go out. Now, beginning in, in chapter 150, and we'll, we'll wrap up uh, our study in the book of Psalms, this invitation then expands to everybody. Look at verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty firmament, praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent greatness. In those two verses, we have uh, where to praise God and why to praise God. So let's think about those two things. Number one, he says where to praise God, and he begins with in his sanctuary. Now for Israel, that would obviously would have been the tabernacle before they had the temple, and then later would be the temple. Praise God in his sanctuary. The idea is on the Sabbath day, when they were to rest and not labor, they were to go there and offer their sacrifices. And when they went to the, to the temple, not only were the sacrifices going on, but the priests were to teach God's word. They were to teach the law. They were to teach the people. And in the New Testament, you have, you have uh, synagogues around where if there were so many Jewish men they could form a synagogue. And in those synagogues, what did they do there? They would meet on the Sabbath day because they were removed from Jerusalem and they couldn't always go to Jerusalem and worship, but they would go to their, to their synagogue and they would, they would worship together and then they would have the Bible taught to them. You remember, Jesus would be in the synagogue in Capernaum 
And I've been in Capernaum and stood on the foundation of what's left of that synagogue. It's pretty neat to stand there and think Jesus had been in that building. But the point is this. When they would come there in the synagogue, the priest or someone would read the Old Testament and then explain it. And I love how Jesus did it. Jesus read the text, and then, and then it said he sat down and told them what it means. And in one case, he said, well, today this text is fulfilled in your sight because I'm it. Well, that's pretty neat. Uh, that's the best uh, interpretation you'll get. But you, but you find that throughout the Old Testament and, and into the New Testament. Well, in the sanctuary, come and worship. Well, the same is true for us today. Now, I thank God for the Internet. I'm thankful that people, this will be recorded and people can watch it. And we know how many people at least hit it every week and start to watch it or whether they finish it or not. And I'm thankful that we have this ability. But the key is we need the same thing it says here. We need to come to the sanctuary and worship together. We need that. And, and, and I know in today's society, uh, it's, it's, it hurts my heart. Church has become, you know, church in general has become this, this effort to entertain for the most part and get people to come and, you know, come in for 15 or 20 minutes and sing and have a good time, have a sermonette, and let's all go home. Uh, you know, let's don't burn any brain cells or have to think about anything. But no, that's not what we need. That's not what we need at all. And our young people need to be under the word of God. That younger generation needs to be under the word of God and they need to come in the sanctuary and worship together. So God is to be worshiped and praised in the sanctuary. And then it says, praise him in the mighty, in his mighty firmament. Where is that? That's everywhere else. The firmament, his heavens, his, gener his, his, his uh, creation, his universe. And that takes us back to what we've studied throughout this book. The angels and the angelic hosts, they worship God all the time. And God is worshipped in heaven. And the stars doing what they do worship God. And the planets worship God. And all creation worships God. And how sad that the one creature created in the image of God can be so rebellious when all the rest of creation worships God. So we worship him in his firmament. Then it says in those two verses, why should we worship him? Well, first of all, for his mighty acts, the mighty things that he's done, which we could tie back into his supernatural acts, his work in our lives. And I wrote it down in three things. One, we praise God for his mercies. His mercies are new every day. They're fresh. It's because of his mercies that we're not consumed. Because of his mercies, we're not destroyed. Because of his mercies, we have opportunity to be saved. You lived some portion of your life before you got saved whether it be as a child or as a, a person or an adult or later in life, and it was the mercy of God that you didn't die and go to hell before you heard the gospel and got saved. So that was the mercy of God. And God's mercies are new every day. And then I wrote down the goodness of God. We should praise him for his goodness. Not only is God merciful to us, but he, he, he blesses us with good things all in life incredibly. I mean, we in particular live in the greatest country on the face of the planet right now. That's a blessing, isn't it? Isn't that a goodness? I mean, we have, in this country, we have abundant resources. I mean, I, I've been around the world, and I've gone to grocery stores and other countries in the world, and they didn't like the grocery store here. They didn't like the hardware store here. I mean, there's some, some blocks and some, you know, one-by-eights, and whatever they have is what they have. And, you know, and if there's something there, you can get it, get it, and if there isn't, then you just don't get it. Man, I go in the store here, and there's 35 different kinds of toilet paper and 15 kinds of paper towels, and there's, you know, 
There's one whole aisle of drinks and chips. Man, if you like potato chips, you could camp out down there. I mean, there's, there's there, you know, and freezers and full of meat and, and anything you can want, we have it here. So we should praise God for his goodness because there's an abundance of goodness. And then we could talk about health. We could talk about our families. God's goodness overflows to us. Now I thought about his salvation available to everybody. That's a great work, isn't it? Available to everybody, anybody who wants it. And how sad that men and women die every day without Christ and go into an eternity lost. And they're going to spend eternity in hell. And that should grieve us. That should really hurt our heart because that's what's going to happen. And then it said we should praise God not only for his mighty acts, but for his excellent greatness. I like that. I wrote another list. You like my list? I always I write. I'll give you another list. Of, and this just is some of his excellent greatness. I thought about his, his, we should praise God because he's perfect. There's nothing in the universe perfect except him. Him. He's perfect. And because he's perfect, we should praise him for his excellent greatness. I thought about his holiness. Holiness. God's the pinnacle of holiness. He's holy. He's what we should be. And he is what we will be when we get there. His righteousness. God always does right. We can tie that back to his command to Israel to go annihilate the Amalekites. Somebody might accuse God of wrongdoing. It's not wrongdoing. God gave them whatever period of time he gave them to repent, and they didn't, and they deserve to be judged, just as we deserve to be judged. God is not wrong for judging sinfulness. God's not wrong for punishing sinfulness. God's not wrong for killing somebody for sin. Why? Because the ways of sin is death. That's the law. And it's not wrong if you, if you uphold the law, is it? No, because he's righteous. We should worship and praise him because he's righteous. I, I wrote down because of his glory, he deserves praise. I love reading in Ezekiel and Isaiah when they see the glory of God. You know, the whole riding on the chariot thing with all the wheels. and the. Have you ever figured all that out yet? Maybe one day we'll do a study in Ezekiel and we'll deal with all it. You know, he sees the vision and there's God high and lifted up and his train fills the cord and the smoke fills and he can't look. And when he speaks, it's like thunder. It's magnificent, isn't it? Well, you know what? I don't even touch the surface because that's a man inspired by the Holy Spirit trying to explain heavenly stuff in human terms. And that's all he's trying to do. He's trying to say, man, I, let me tell you what I saw. I'm not really sure what I saw, but let me tell you what I saw. I see God high and lifted up. And when I look at him, he looks like the sun and his hair is white as snow. And, you know, and he's got this girdle on and it's, you know, awesome. So God's glory. And then I wrote down, we should praise him for his excellent greatness because he loves us. I was talking to somebody this morning. Can't figure out why God would love us. I mean, Why? Yeah, I know he created us, but I mean, let's just be honest. He could wipe us all out and create another group of humans. He could start over. He's God. He go, well, that bunch is messed up. So, you know, he did that with a flood, didn't he? Uh, he could do it again. I mean, he, you know, the flood will start over with this one guy who's left, which is a whole interesting thing in itself. I don't know what the population of the world was before the flood, but there was one guy left who was saved. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? One guy. And God said, well, I can work with one. I, I can fix this with one guy. So for God's love, right? And then his promises, I wrote down, we should praise God for his excellent greatness and his promises. And I really like that one because it's the promises that I really hang on to in the Bible. I mean, God will never go back on his word. 
I mean, death is, is ugly, isn't it? We lose loved ones, and, and, we, and we face it. But God said if we're saved and we're his child, death is no thing, man. It's defeated. It's conquered. No big deal. Our loved ones are with him if they're saved, and we're going to see them again. Man, tremendous promises. Let me close with this. In verses 3 to 6 in chapter 150, he lists a whole bunch of instruments here, and I, I was thinking about uh, Jeff when I was reading this. Uh, but this is really neat. Look at verse 3 to 6. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Well, we did that tonight, trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel, that's a tambourine, and dance. We talked about that last week. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. We got flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. We got cymbals. Not too loud, but we got them. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Yeah, a little louder. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The trumpet, we know what that is. And in Israel, the trumpet did a lot of things. It would call the nation to war, depending on how it sounded. It would call them to defend the city. It would announce the arrival of the king. It would call them to worship. So the trumpet had a, a lot of purposes in Israel. One of my favorite things, uh, we'll close in a moment, the uh, thing in Disney where they, what do they call that thing? Candlelight. Uh, where they have choirs come in and you go down and they, and if there's one thing about Disney, they do all things well. I mean, they, they really do it well. And they actually have a person read the Christmas story, verbatim out of the Bible, and it's usually an actor, somebody who's not even saved, and they read it right out of the Bible, which is awesome. And then they have choirs who are singing Christmas, and they always end with the Hallelujah Chorus. And I know these things are called trumpets, but they're not like the trumpet Jeff was playing a while ago. These things are really long. And they have three guys on each side with those really long trumpets. And when the Hallelujah Chorus starts, they start blowing those long trumpets. I mean, you think Jesus is coming. I kid you not. I mean, and, and the really cool part is the angels probably play those trumpets really good. And when the angels sound them trumpets and Jesus comes, it's going to be loud and everybody's going to know it. he's coming. And that's what makes me think of it when I, when I hear that, those trumpets sound. And, and you know the Hallelujah Chorus is pretty powerful anyway. And at the end, when all them people are singing Hallelujah, Hallelujah on the right note all together, that'll get you going now. That, that'll fire up your spiritual life. Trumpets. We're going to praise God. We should praise him here with trumpets. So praise him in heaven. The lute and the harp. The lute is a funny-looking guitar thing. You ever looked up? You can look it up online. It's a little round thing with strings. It's a stringed instrument, so it's with stringed instruments. Timbrel and cymbals. The timbrel is a tambourine, you know, a little shaky thing. And then, and then the the cymbals. Now I get a kick out of cymbals too. I, when Sherry was in college getting a music degree, I used to have to go with her to uh, concerts. And she had to get the bulletin and show that she went because she had to go sit through these things for her music classes. And so I've been to all kinds of musical, musical performances. We went to a percussion thing one night. She goes, we're going to a percussion recital. I thought, drums. Break drums and flower pots. That was it. it was terrible. I... I about halfway through, I said, okay, I had enough percussion, and we got to go. 
but but we went to the we went to the symphony one night. First time I'd ever gone to the symphony. She never took me back. <laughs> I didn't know you weren't supposed to clap between the the movement things, right? Marshall Tucker Band never had pauses like that. I didn't know. <laughs> so I go to this thing. They play, and it was fantastic. I mean, it was really good. So I'm like, nobody else in the whole place is clapping. <laughs> and Sherry's grabbing me going, sit down. You don't clap till after the movement or whatever the thing was. But here's what really got her. There's one guy in the back with these cymbals, and they're big. And he's standing there, and he's not doing nothing for a long time. He's got his whole bow tie thing on, and he's just standing there. But he's got music everywhere. And I'm thinking, why does he need all the music? He's not doing anything. And every now and then, though, it's his turn. And he smashes those things, and they're loud, and then he just stands there. And at the end of the song, he'll smash them three or four times, and he just stands there. And after he got done, I said to Sherry, said, I could do that. <laughs> I said, if they just mark my music with a big red circle or something when it, you know, and somebody nod at me or something when it's time, I could do that. I have all this stuff up there. Well, all that to say, in heaven... And we should worship God with those things because there's going to be instruments in heaven. And, and Israel said here, worship God with all these things. Worship him with all these things. I'll close with this. You know, I remember when drums started coming into church services. Y'all remember that? Oh, my stars. Painful? Oh. I would have people come to me, that's a devil's instrument. That shouldn't be in the church. No place for that in the church. This is a holy place. And I would think to myself, now, you know, you got to be kind. And I would think to myself, man, the Bible says loud symbols, clashing and, and loud. Why? Not just to be loud, but because God's great. And, man, we're going to sing loud. And we're going to play drums loud. And we're going to blow trumpets loud. Oh, I'm not. But somebody's going to blow trumpets loud. And somebody's going to play instruments loud. And they're going to smash symbols together loud. Why? Because God deserves all of that. So, you know, we can have a little bit of that here, right? I mean, it don't have to be out of control, but if he does one of them rounds on the drum and hits that thing up there, I'm all right with that. It's all right, because it honors God, and we're going to do it. So that's the end of the book of Psalms. Good study, uh, great study, and, and at the end of the night, end of the day, uh, I would say to you, if you're not saved, we serve a great God, and he wants to save you. And if you're online and you're not saved, God wants to save you. Uh, well, why would you miss heaven and miss all that? Why would you do that? So I invite you to, to come to Jesus tonight. Ask him to save you. Ask him to forgive your sin. Ask him to be your Lord, and he'll do it. He'll do it tonight. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. And God, we look forward. We praise you here, and we sing here, and we play instruments here. But God, we look forward to heaven and the glory and the music and the praise. And God, really, for all eternity, we get to do that. How awesome that is. God, in the meantime, we pray you receive our worship and our praise this evening. Bless the heart of those who need, may need to be saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come, every soul, my sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord.
study on Wednesday night. I mean, we have small groups and we have a class for everybody and it is, it's good fellowship. It's a good time in God's Word and boy, nothing better than being in a class and talking about God's Word. We can ask questions and we can talk about things. It's really where you really sharpen and hone one another. Iron sharpens iron and we need to do that. So let's pray and we'll go. Thank you, Father, for today. Uh, Lord, thank you, God, for being so good to us. God, your mercy is wonderful and your love and your grace Help us, God, to speak about you and to sing about you and to testify about you and help us to do it this week. In Jesus' name, amen.